bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I was born in the and welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, last week I told you that you needed to go to the movies to go see The Devil Wears Prada. And that was a fun film, a fun film, and we talked about uh, some of the things that it, it could make us think about in terms of being a good boss and a good employee. But today I'm going to be talking to you about uh, a different kind of movie. Uh, it's called An Inconvenient Truth. And this is a movie that although you will not get as many laughs as with The Devil Wears Prada, um, everybody needs to be compelled, <laughs> at least morally compelled, to see this movie. Every single person in the world, really, should see this movie. It's the Al Gore movie, and um, it is about global warming. And um, obviously you don't come out of this movie laughing, but you do come out wanting to know what you can do to try to forestall this incredibly encroaching uh, phenomenon. And um, it was a book before a movie, so, you know, you can take your choice, but you have to find out this information because as the years go by and we've already begun seeing it, wherever you live in the world, chances are you have been having weather that is unlike weather you have had before. Certainly in the United States we've seen Katrina, that was a shock, that was a wake-up call. But it's not just Katrina. Katrina was um, a, a drippy faucet compared to some of the scenes in this movie and some of the things that are to come. And um, we, it, it takes each and every one of us to forestall this incredible disaster uh, happening to our planet. And with me today to talk about this, is Dr. Brenda Eckwurzel. Uh, she is a climate scientist with the Global Environment Program and with the Union of Concerned Scientists. And she can, she'll be able to explain this to you a lot better than I can. Um, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, let's start by talking about this movie. I mean, I assume that you <laughs> certainly, um, as someone who uh, presumably feels well, as a colleague, in a sense, of Al Gore in terms of his uh, passionate um, drive to make people understand the problem before it's too late. What did you think about the movie? I thought the movie did a very stellar job at showing that global warming is already here. We're already seeing the impact on the ground uh, where many of us live. And we see the impact here. It's today and that it's accelerating. The impacts are starting to uh, speed up, and he also was showing some of the projections into the future. I would say that for the most part, if you want to learn about global warming, the science of global warming, this is a, a good start to go see this movie because he's able to uh, present it uh, in a compelling way, and uh, that's 
that's pretty good information. Yes. You know, it, it isn't like, I mean, I was sort of wondering whether it was going to be like one of those boring science lectures from high school or something. <laughs> but um, he makes it incredibly uh, interesting and uh, clear and um, and really drives the point home. So why don't we, and in fact, you know, one of the things that I kept thinking throughout the movie, and, and I know that, that um, there have been reviews that have said similar things, um, that he shows himself to be so different in the movie than he did when he was running for president. I mean, you really see his personality, you see his charisma, his vulnerability, um, you see him as a, his, his uh, sense of humor. He, he really is a, a real person who you, who you like. And if he had shown as much of himself when he was running for president, instead of being like a deer in headlights, um, I think, you know, given the fact that he should have won anyway, that the vote count was all erroneous, um, but still, he would have won with a, a much greater majority, and there wouldn't have been that much of a question. And I kept thinking throughout the movie, what a, you know, that if there are people around to look back on this before we go into another ice age, um, or, or uh, we all burn up, um, that people will look back on these Eight years with President Bush, and think about how if, if in fact Gore had won, um, that we would be eight years closer to uh, being ahead or forestalling the problem of global warming. Have you? Did you? Were you thinking of that as well? Well, I, I really think that everyone has to be aware that it's not a matter of changing the light bulbs or recycling that we as individuals can do as much as we possibly can, but that won't be enough. And so that means that we need uh, participation at all levels. We need businesses, and there are business leaders that are forward-thinking already, making changes. We need leadership at the, at the local level, at the state level, and at the national level to really uh, engage everyone in, in throwing all the possible solutions that we have off the shelf now while we do research and development to try to figure out some of the newer technologies that will get us into new energies in the future. And so that type of leadership is what we need. Yes, that's right. And, and obviously, um, you know, the higher up that someone is who, who understands this and wants to do something about it, the more progress that could be made. I think some of the most... Um, memorable scenes in the movie and it's not really a matter of giving anything away folks so you don't have to cover your ears but there were scenes of ice melting on mountains there were mountains that um you know that that we think of tall the tallest mountains in the world that um were covered with ice and um we see them he showed pictures of them at some time in the past and then at a more current time and it is just unbelievable how quickly uh, and the ice is, and snow is gone has has um vanished from these mountains and also another other scenes of glaciers melting and um you know Seeing it in real time, these these beautiful glaciers just melting into the water, and then his explaining how the water level is going to rise all around the world, and in fact cover you know cover areas that are 
that have coasts like um, Manhattan. In fact, he was making the comparison with 9-11 that with global warming, um, the water is going to come up to the place where they're planning on building at ground zero and, and many other places around Manhattan and many other places in wherever, you know, think of wherever there's a coastline, um, Southern California, Florida, I mean, the, the borders of, of countries, um, and lakes for that matter and rivers, everything is just going to be, uh, you know, people are going to be having lakeside or, or oceanfront property um, from miles inward. It's 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 really very uh, very stunning when you actually see it in the, in the pictures. Did you? Yes, uh, it, it is important to realize that all this frozen water on land, as it melts and goes into the ocean, it will directly raise sea level. Another aspect that was not. Uh, covered as much is that just the simple heating of our oceans, which thank goodness so much of our earth is covered with oceans because we have pumped out of our tailpipes and out of power plants these fossil fuels converting to carbon dioxide and other heat trapping gases that trap the heat, reflect back heat that normally would be reflected off the heat of the earth going back out into space. That most of that heat is trapped again and redirected back down, heating up the planet. And the ocean is absorbing 20 times more heat than the atmosphere where we live, uh, thank goodness, because most of that heat is being absorbed into the ocean. What that means is that not only melting of glaciers will cause sea level rise, but the majority of sea level rise that happens is because of the expansion, the heating of the ocean. Just mm-hmm. as you heat up the air in a hot air balloon and it will rise, the ocean also, when you heat it, it expands and the sea level rises as a mm-hmm. result of that too. Yes. No, they didn't really explain the, mm-hmm. that part. It's a lot to pack in two hours. Yes. Good yes. job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and of course, when you when you think about the uh, um, the water is getting hotter, um, what does that mean for the for the wildlife in the waters? That's right. The what we do see is that, for example, coral reefs that are have evolved uh, to be at certain temperature range. When you accelerate the rise of of uh, the seawater faster than they're able to evolve and adapt, uh, then we do have some coral die-offs just from the heating of the water. Also, there are other compounding issues such as some uh, pollution runoff as well as uh, overfishing can can impact coral reefs. These all converge, and then the climate warming up can be a critical threshold that can cause. We are seeing massive coral bleaching. And um, the ocean is becoming a little more acidic as we have pumped so much carbon dioxide into our atmosphere. It goes into the ocean, changes chemical format, and and becomes more acidic. And so the very shells, the calcium carbonate that form the the bottom of the food chain and and make up these coral reefs and little organisms that float in the uh, surface of the ocean that other organisms eat, uh, those are going to be at risk in the future because of the acidification problem. Unless we turn it around. And if they die, then the fish that... that feed on them will die, which means that there will be less food supply. Right. That's if we go business as usual. If, if we can turn this around and, and hold, this, hold this back, then I think, uh, you know, the, the ocean system can. Because in the past, 
looking further back in time, there have been times when CO2 has risen and at a much slower rate than what we've done, and the ocean was able to adapt and buffer and, and absorb this. We're doing it such a fast pace that that was shown in the movie, that you see six glaciation cycles in the past, and the carbon dioxide of the atmosphere that's preserved in ancient ice cores, ancient atmospheres, bubbles of ice, scientists, we've measured that, and you see that it goes up and down. Well, when we come back, <laughs> yes, that's the music. We have to take a break. But when we come back, we'll talk more about this. Perhaps you can sort of walk us through it again from, from the beginning as far as how the carbon dioxide, you know, does all of this. It's a little, it's a little hard to grasp when you're not seeing it visually, you know? Right. Well, when we come back, we'll talk more about global warming, the movie An Inconvenient Truth with my guest, Dr. Brenda Eckwurzel. And um, she is a climate scientist with the Global Environment Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. So, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're going to also be telling you today what you can do about this. We're not going to just frighten you. We will actually give you things that you can do. So stay tuned. The Internet's premier talk radio station, VoiceAmerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces Comedy Beer Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably gotten you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff belt with Ralph's no-holds-barred approach with L.A. Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel, beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on voiceamerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength, and the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about the movie and book, An Inconvenient Truth, with my guest, Dr. Brenda Eckwurzel. She is a climate scientist with the Global Environment Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. And, um, you know, one of the things that I learned when I was uh, getting my Master's of Public Health <laughs> after my MD was you don't, uh, I specialized actually in using the media to educate people about health issues, mental health issues in, in particular. And one of the things that they taught us over and over again was that you don't go out there and frighten people without giving them a plan of action, you know. So I don't come out here and tell you about terrorism or about um, how we're all going to be heading into um, the ice age or um, overheating, uh, being broiled to a crisp without giving you things to do about it or else that doesn't really serve any purpose except to just frighten everybody and, and not make you want to understand what it is. So in that uh, sense, in that, uh, for that aim, um, I'm going to ask Dr. Brenda to um, sort of explain, go back and explain in a little more detail exactly what global warming is because in the movie, it, you know, he does it with in a, diff- a number of different ways. Um, one of the most memorable is with little cartoon characters. So it makes it really under- a- easy to understand when you see it visually. It's a little harder over the radio. So, um, so Brenda, go ahead. Okay. Well, first of all, we are blessed on the planet Earth that we have this thin atmosphere that has uh, trace amounts of these gases, which we call heat-trapping gases, and others call them the uh, commonly known as the greenhouse gases. And why they're important is that before we talk about what we've done in the industrialized age, if those heat-trapping gases were not there, then sunlight entering would pass through the atmosphere, hit the earth, warm the earth, and we would have that heat reflected back, back out into space. And you can think about this in a desert where you have very little um, water vapor, which is also another um, greenhouse uh, vapor. And when you are in a desert, it can be very, very hot during the day and very, very cold at night. Whereas if you live in a more humid climate where you have clouds over your head and you have much more humidity, uh, in the summertime you'll, you'll have warming, but at night it doesn't cool off as much. And that is essentially a lot of what the heat-trapping effect is going on. And if we did not have these trace amount of gases, we would be an icy orb floating around our sun. But because we have those heat-trapping gases, we're allowed to hold on to some of that heat and have a habitable planet that has liquid water on it in the oceans and in our lakes. And we have in the poles and at high elevations, we have frozen water. So and what you're talking about is a kind of... Um uh, wrapping around the earth, that these gases form a kind of They're kind of like shield. a blanket. They're kind yeah. of like, like a, uh, when you sleep at night, and if you didn't have that blanket over you, you would be radiating heat from your body and it would escape out into the room and you'd be pretty cold. You put on that blanket, the heat that you've generated is, is trapped. And what we've done in the industrialized age is we've added carbon dioxide, we've added methane, nitrous oxide, and other heat-trapping gases that essentially have thickened that blanket as if, as if we put 10 blankets on ourselves in, in the summertime and we're getting a little too hot. That's essentially what happens. That's a great way of explaining it. Um, 
Okay. So it's not as it's not the animation characters, but you can imagine <laughs> those blankets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And what are some of the um, some of the demons? What are some of the things that have caused us to generate? Okay, there are there are two. There are some major characters, and I w- I'll focus on two today. One is uh, methane. Which is something that comes out of livestock, and we breathe, uh, we, I mean, not breathe, but we release methane ourselves sometimes. And, uh, landfills release methane. And, uh, we have rice patties release methane. It's basically, uh, CH4, and it swirls around in the atmosphere on the average around 12 years, and it has a very high potential for trapping heat, much more than carbon dioxide. Now, carbon dioxide, is something that when you dig up coal from the uh, earth and you dig up oil and, and any fossil fuel, you put it into your car, you put it into a power plant, that releases carbon dioxide. Also, we breathe out carbon dioxide, and plants uh, take in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. So we have this carbon cycle going on in the ocean and trees, and all living things are part of this carbon cycle. Carbon dioxide, in contrast to methane, swirls in the atmosphere over a century. So the decisions we make today, what the climate we have today is basically what our parents and ourselves have put into the atmosphere because it's been swirling around for a century Hmm. or more. So that even though, in a sense, the methane is more um, uh, destructive, since the carbon dioxide lasts longer, that makes that um, have a, a very high destructive power. You know, it, it and of course, with this, um, the fact that we breathe out carbon dioxide and that plants take it in, um, the fact that we're populating more and that we're cutting down on the rainforests and, and many other plants is is a tremendous problem. The trees, deforestation is a huge source of greenhouse gases. Uh, the more that we can plant, in fact, in North America, we have a huge potential because a, because we had all that um, farming and we cut down a lot of trees, and now, say, in New England, uh, it wasn't the rocky soils were not as good for farming. Uh, we have now second-growth forests. That forest, that mid, not an old-growth forest, but a mid-growing forest, uh, takes up much more carbon dioxide. So the more trees we plant in the temperate uh, lands can help a lot to ameliorate uh, the impact of global warming. Now, um, one of the things that, as a psychiatrist, I was particularly interested in in the movie was how, in a sense, Gore's um, future was set for him, uh, his passion you know, in regard to global warming was set for him when he was a college student, and he had a teacher who was apparently a pioneer in global warning many years ago. And um, I'm wondering what um, what stimulated you? I mean, so it's very interesting to see his trajectory, how his life, you know, he ran, he was a politician and all of that, but, you know, really he came back to his, his first love, which is this passion for warning everyone about global warming, just as his teacher had taught him. What got you involved in... Um, to become a climate scientist? 
what happened was I was uh, a graduate student, and I was at Columbia University, and I had the opportunity to do my graduate work on the Arctic Ocean. And I did my first icebreaker cruise on a Swedish icebreaker called Odin, and we had the opportunity to go up to the North Pole, of all things. And I was pretty naive. I was expecting to see some polar bears up there. I was very excited to... uh while I was taking oceanographic samples to go see ice floating on the ocean up there and to see uh, polar bears and seals. And when we got to the, the day before we got to the North Pole, it was this bright sunny day and there was huge tracks of open water. It was not filled with ice. And I was shocked to be near the North Pole. And, and part of that is because the ocean currents move this ice around and, and so on. And I, I, is it time? I was shocked that what happened was what I found out was that the 19, the early part of the century, ice volume in the summer and the winter fluctuates, the aerial extent. But by the time I was first up there in 1991, and I was studying, I was up there in the 90s going up, that we, since 1950, the sea ice in the Arctic has been decreasing. And we've lost a significant amount of volume of Arctic sea ice. So I, what I was witnessing was a change in the climate and the impact up in the polar region. And I thought to myself, I have to learn more about than what I, my little aspect of what I was studying, ocean currents up there and, and how they move around. How does this relate to climate and how is that impacting uh, the area that I was studying? And so I, that sparked my interest to see it for myself. Hmm. And so were you going to be an oceanographer before this? Yes, I was uh, oceanography, and, and the subspecialty was called isotope geochemistry, I measured. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> don't need to go into that. Okay. <laughs> well, that's really fascinating. So in a sense, you lived the experiment because you saw um, this sort of uh, – Breakdown of what the idea of what we all expected. I guess you were sort of disillusioned and, and wanted to understand why and, and what was what this meant for all of us. I was expecting an icebreaker to be pushing hard through the ice, breaking through thick ice, trying to get there, and, yeah. it, and we had a little easy way at the very end to the pole. Well, that's very interesting. And what what kind of research do you do now, specifically in, in climate? I have looked at uh, the impact of climate on um, uh, forest fires in the West. I've looked mm-hmm. at water resources and um, looked at various aspects of oceanography and, and the story of the ice. Um, it's not only the atmospheric warming of the uh, ice up there. There's also the heating of the oceans is a big, the ocean current system is a very big part in playing and why the Arctic sea ice is, is melting back. So, so it's been sense, a lot of time in the Arctic. So in a sense, you combined your two interests. Um, yes. Well, that's, that's uh, very interesting. When we come back, um, I'd also like you to tell me, well, the, the global environment program that you're involved with, is that, I guess that's a is that a governmental program or is it a private program? Uh, we're Union of Concerned Scientists is a nonprofit partnership of scientists and citizens, where we look at scientific analysis and look at policy development and try to affect um, practical environmental solutions and try to make sure that uh, the best available scientific uh, knowledge that's out there is fed into the public discourse. 
Well, then I guess uh, the key question is, have you seen a change in the administration's um, I mean, are they more, is anybody paying attention to what's mm-hmm. going on in the administration? Well, I, I would say that in Washington there has been, uh, some response. I think that, first of all, if, if you look at the statements that, um, President Bush has made, he admits that global warming is happening, he's aware that it's happening, and he's aware that humans are the major cause of the change over the last Several decades. Somebody tell him this. <laughs> <laughs> so, and just this week, this past week and last month, there was two new bills introduced into co- Congress that are looking at this issue, which is a first for this. Yeah, so let's hope he uh, isn't going to veto those too. <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk more about global warming with my guest. Brenda Eckwurzel, Dr. Brenda Eckwurzel, a climate scientist with the Union of Concerned Scientists. We're talking today about global warming and an inconvenient truth. And it is inconvenient, but it's something that we all really need to know about so that we can start doing something about it. And when we come back, that's what we're going to be talking about, what we, you and I, of course, um, petitioning our government and trying to make them responsive as part of that, but then the everyday things that you and I can do to uh, forestall global warming. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free, with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter, is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice, sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcast each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture. 
who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Getterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're putting the whole planet on the couch, global warming. We're talking about uh, something that at least, you know, the fact that it's gotten so hot around the globe this year. Um, certainly in Los Angeles where I am, it's pretty hot. I know on the East Coast, um, in the, I, I assume where you are too, in Washington, D.C., uh, Dr. Brenda, that um, it's pretty hot there. I know it is in New York. It is, uh, definitely. <laughs> and I was in uh, France and London um, this summer, and it were at places where I lived for a while, and wow, <laughs> The temperature was higher than I ever remembered. I think it broke records. So at least this is a time, you know, that's that's the bad news. But the good news is that this kind of gets people more um, interested in finding out why they're so uncomfortable and what's going on. Right. And and as climate scientists, we prefer to take a longer-term view and say if, if it's a record year, um, that may occur naturally. But what concerns us more, 2005 was the record hot, year for global average temperature since uh, accurate statistics we have for many, many temperature stations since 1880. But more concern is that 19 of the top 20 hottest years occurred since 1980. So we're in a new, very hotter time. Yes. So. I guess not to invest in the skiing industry. <laughs> 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 Unless you're in a high elevation area or uh, there, one aspect of global warming is that certain areas that maybe were drier or did not get as much precipitation may have more precipitation. So there will be a little mm. more snow falling on Norway. So I'd go skiing in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be okay for a while. <laughs> well, okay. Let's talk about what we individual peons <laughs> can do because it really does take, uh, I mean, besides what the government can do in terms of laws on, on industry, um, certainly each of us can make a big difference. So why don't we talk about that? What about cars? One thing is that what would be great to see is that for consumers, when we go to the car dealership, that instead of just a few vehicles that get high, get, let you go really far on a gallon of gas, that we would have many, many more choices because I know when I want something, I want it to be sporty, I want it to look good and have high mileage, and, and, and we want to have many more choices out there. So certainly increasing uh, how many miles we demand as consumers can send a message to car makers, which is already starting to happen. I think that they are starting to dust off the old plans. And right now, there are ways, for example, our engineers figured out a way, if you were to design an SUV to make it more uh, efficient, one way you could do it is from off-the-shelf solutions that aren't often combined together. For example, if you had a unibody um, that 
helped with the eight, uh, weight of the car, you can boost mileage by 8%. What is the unibody? It's basically a, um, you combine the body and frame elements into one complete uh, steel high-strength uh-huh. frame. And the other thing is to add an extra gear. Wait, wait. Before we leave SUVs, I mean, one thing that would really be um, <laughs> make a big difference is if everybody who got who has an SUV um, would trade it in for a car that got more mileage. I mean, you know, it's so. Um, I mean, the only reason why people like for most people, yes, some people need to carry around stuff as part of their job or whatever. But for most people, it's a total power trip. Um, and and yes, that's a pun. <laughs> and, I mean, really, it's just that people want to feel pa- bigger and tougher than the other guy on the road. And so, if if we all could kind of, um, uh, you know, let go of that and realize that it's costing us not just at the pump, but um, in terms of global warming, I think that would be a big change if people returned their um, SUVs and bought something more fuel efficient. That's right, because right now we are spending a huge amount of money on filling up our gas tanks, and no one wants to do that. We'd rather spend that money on something else, plus get just as far as we need to to run our errands and things like that. And so it's very important to, um, when you make the car choice for the next time, you buy a car that you look carefully at how much mileage it really gets and that is starting to change because many of the uh consumers are already starting to make exercise that choice and the big 3 auto companies are starting to see that their larger vehicle sales are plummeting mm-hmm. and we are starting to see a shift towards higher mileage vehicles because we are at it's hard to believe, but the United States has not really increased our fleet. If you take all the cars on the road and add it all up and figure out what is the average mile per gallon, we are at a 20-year low. So uh, that does not help with uh, mitigating global warming, certainly. And so, What do you mean at a 20-year low? That our average fleet mileage per gallon oh, is about twenty miles get, per hour, uh-huh. uh, twenty miles per gallon, and and that's it. Yes, I see. What you're we we just we we were making we had smaller cars. Um, we had uh, cars that that. On average, if you put so many more cars that are big and get very low mileage, that pulls yes. the whole fleet yes. average down. Yes. So. Okay, what else can we do in terms of cars besides getting little ones with good mileage? I mean, believe it or not, I mean, this every few percent helps. I mean, just keeping your tires properly inflated is one of the easiest ways to improve your mileage. I mean, every time you do that, then you you save. 3% doesn't sound like much, but if the entire nation were to do that, that's about like all the oil in Anwar um, in one year. Yeah, if everyone were to keep their tires properly inflated, that's just throwing money out the window, and that's just we can hugely uh, increase our, you know, efficiencies in our cars and our travel. Just making sure that you combine your errands. If you go out, make sure you do it all in one trip and, and try to combine them instead of doing a separate errand every single day, and, and you have that home to the major shopping area wherever you're going is uh, adding up. And it's trying to buy local foods. A lot of the uh, transportation to bring, say, kiwi from halfway around the world, uh, maybe if you bought a kiwi from California, then you, you save some 
emissions of heat-trapping gases. Yes, which really, uh, you know, goes to the issue of um, outsourcing. You know, people trying, companies trying to make more money by outsourcing products to countries where labor is cheaper. But then, if the cost in in shipping and in fuel and all of that, um, mm-hmm. you know, it may still make the product ultimately cheaper, but it costs in terms of global warming. And you make a very good point because I think that the international agreements that are going to be evolving and once we realize how we have to turn this around and many, many people, many companies are realizing how much they're saving and many of those companies are multinational companies that are already having to uh, abide by Kyoto Protocol standards and they're finding not only do they save heat-trapping gases, but they're saving money because they are um, not throwing money at being an inefficient company as far as energy use. And so all of us can increase our efficiency at home, too, because, for example, if you buy one of those little insulating things on your hot water tank, then your hot water tank doesn't have to turn on as much to keep its heat. It's insulated, but then you give that little extra level of insulation, you save energy over a year's use. Yes. Why don't we talk a little bit more about some of the things that we can do at home? One thing, of course, is if we were to switch over to energy efficient, more energy efficient light bulbs, but simply one of the big uh, energy hogs is your computer uh, screen and so on. Many of these devices, if you could set it to those automatic shutoff for uh, if you're not using it for a certain amount of time. That yes. saves a lot of energy. Yes. And, and at work, too. Do it at work. You know, I actually, um, we have a program in Los Angeles, um, the computer guy, and I uh, happened to catch it part of it one day, and he was talking about how it's really best to turn your computer off at night in terms of not getting viruses and it just being safer for your computer. And I've started doing that, and it is amazing. My my electricity bill went in, down by half. Yeah, I mean, you're not using it. There's, it and that used to be an old myth uh, in the early stages of computers that maybe it was bad to turn them on and off. These computers and, and laptops and so on, I mean, you turn them on and off 100 times a day, and they're fine. They they really are designed uh, better. And, they, and, and why have that fan on the whole time, cooling it down yes. and, and so on? So it's just a waste of electrons. Yes, yes, that, that that was an old myth. I was always afraid that something terrible is going to happen if you turn it off too many times. It, it, it's a, it's, it may have been true once, perhaps, but it's certainly lingered beyond its technological uh, what, what what computers are today. Yes, well, let's um, let's continue talking about some of the things that people can do, like uh, the compact fluorescent bulbs. Oh, well, okay. okay. <laughs> we'll have to, the bulbs will have to wait as well as some of the other ideas um, until we come back. We're talking about what you can do, um, and there really is a whole huge list, and I'll, at the end of the show I'll, I'll let you know where you can find some of these uh, lists because we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but um, there really are things that we, we all need to begin to do now, <laughs> actually 10 years ago, but um, we can't cry over spilt milk or, or uh, spilt methane and carbon dioxide, we need to start now doing more. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Dr. Brenda Eckworksel, and uh, she's a climate scientist with the Union of Concerned Scientists. We're talking about uh, an inconvenient truth and some of the inconveniences that we need to incorporate into our life to save our planet. 
to stay tuned. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The authority in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products, get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, broadcast each Thursday at noon pacific 3 p.m eastern on the voice america channel living the green life for a human healthy and planet friendly lifestyle tune in every friday at 10 a.m pacific standard time for powerful prayer with host connie coddington each week connie and her guests will explain the healing system called christian science and share stories of how they have used the spiritual laws of god to bring healing to their lives you can learn how to bring healing to your life too So tune in to Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America, America's Voice. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking about global warming, what you can do to keep it from... uh, Keep it for, forestall it anyway. Um, my guest is Dr. Brenda Eckworzel. Dr. Brenda Eckworzel, <laughs> climate scientist with the Union of Concerned Scientists. And um, you know, I'm going to give you, uh, as I said, a, some some um, websites for where you can see whole lists of things that you can do. We may not have time actually to give you a whole a whole bunch more, but because I'd rather actually that Dr. Brenda talk a little bit about the Kyoto uh, Agreement, um, that uh, an agreement that only the United States and Australia have not signed. What we have is the Kyoto Protocol was negotiated in Japan's ancient capital, Kyoto, and that's hence its name. What it does is it targets carbon dioxide and five other heat-trapping gases um, that it went into effect... Um, a little while ago, and it calls upon the top 35 industrialized nations to cut emissions by a mere 5.2% 
below their 1990 levels, and they have to achieve this by 2008 and between 2008 and 2012. So there's a window of time to make it into effect and basically to start turning this around and not be emitting more and more and more heat-trapping gases, which has been the path that you will see in the movie Inconvenient Truth. You see carbon dioxide levels are increasing. They are at the highest level they've ever been over, we know for sure, the past 650,000 years, and and this is a cause for great concern. What we are seeing is that people are taking local action. In the United, in the United States, Mayor Nichols of Seattle started an initiative, and he said, I want Seattle to, even though the United States did not sign the Kyoto Protocol, I want Seattle to meet that goal. Locally, we want to just reduce 5.2% below 1990 levels um, by the end of the decade. And what we see is he called upon all the mayors of the United States to join him. And what we have is over 240 mayors around the country have committed to have their cities meet Kyoto targets voluntarily. And so what we're seeing is an initiative from the ground up. Well, you know, um, yes, literally. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is heartening, I must say, to um, see that even though the uh, president may not understand the importance of this and the urgency of this, that mayors um, across the country are, and, and of course all the other countries except for Australia, are seeing the value in this. What is the um, downside? I mean, obviously it has to do with money. It has to do with companies not wanting to change things because it's going to cost them money or cost them profit. Right. I mean, there are uh, concerns that, for example, you know, where do we get our energy from then? Uh, do we... Do we have to shut down coal plants and then move towards nuclear? Or what is going to be the, the option? And for coal-fired power plants, uh, there are, is research going on to look into capturing the carbon dioxide that comes out of the smokestack and capturing it and storing it underground and sequestering it and, and storing it so that it is not allowed to be released to the atmosphere. And they also are capturing their own heat. And some of these newer generation coal plants, if they were built, uh, when that research technology comes into play, would be a way to have energy but also uh, mitigate against climate change. Right now we're not there yet because right now there's no requirements to do this. And right now 150 plants or so are in the pipeline to be built in the old-fashioned way, which would just emit all the carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And those coal-fired power plants would be very difficult to retrofit into these newer technologies. And so really the decisions that we make in the next 10 years, because coal-fired power plants will live for about 50 years, it's a lifetime of an average plant, that would lock in a climate for our children or grandchildren that we may not want. They may look back at us and say, what kind of legacy did you leave us when you knew that this was a problem? So that's what we're concerned about is how we get our energy. If we're smart about it, we can turn this around. Yes. Isn't there, I mean, I'm not, you know, a climate scientist, but it seems to me that if the 
if the problem is that we're trapping too much heat, including in our water, isn't there a way through water power or um, something other than nuclear, you know, because that's a slippery slope that we're it is already a very, seeing? Yes, because there's a lot of waste issues, a huge amount of costs, very huge subsidies by government and taxpayer dollars go into nuclear as well as the fossil fuel industry. But what we see is that renewable energy sources like wind generation is something that is coming on the rise and is at the price level right now of methane uh, in, in uh, power plants. And we also see that, um, I mean, natural gas, sorry, in power plants. And we also see that solar in the areas of the nation, such as the southwest, that have an abundance of solar energy that they can harness. Uh, we do see that solar power plants are being built in the southwest in Arizona, and these governors are taking commitments, California, New Mexico, they're trying to shoot for 80% reductions of their emissions below 1990 levels yes. by the year 2050. They're, they're setting out ambitious targets. We do have, I mean, there certainly in California, um, we do, there is, there are, um, I don't know what the current status of it is, but there have, I actually heard something recently um, telling people that there are rebates and all kinds of incentives to put solar power into your home um, to, um, to, for example, to move um, pool pumps or things like that, to use it in various ways. But what is, is the water idea that I was... <laughs> well, hydropower is certainly... like there I are mean, nations... the fact that the water is getting heat hotter, mm-hmm. isn't that um, a, a new source of or a bigger source of potential energy? Well, we do harness um, some of the heat of geothermal waters. Uh, geothermal energy is something that will definitely be growing, and uh, the Department of Energy has looked at what the U.S. potential is. We, What you do is you run down, you capture the hot water that's heated by the earth just as you go deeper into the earth, not, not that far, you just go down, you can run a heating system for your home. And there are homes that are already tapping into this and businesses that are tapping in. It's just we would need to have the will to uh, give many incentives for many smart buildings to be built mm-hmm. and to uh, harness that energy that's sitting there waiting to be harnessed. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a different way of living and building and and basically having the products that are out there and companies involved with this and governments to helping achieve this. Well, I guess uh, I guess your particular work um, has grown, I guess, increasingly frustrating in some ways and increasingly in- important and fulfilling in other ways. <laughs> yes, this is such a primary. You know, now this is such a primary concern. It is. It is a huge concern. I think if people realize that. If we were to turn off heat trapping gases today, we still have about a little bit of heat in the pipeline that is going to get a little bit hotter. And what we want to do is prevent it from getting much hotter than that because we, if we do business as usual, we would see warming by the end of the century of in Fahrenheit around 3 to 10 degrees Fahrenheit. We would see sea level rise anywhere between a third of a feet to three feet. And that may not sound like much, but if you live in low-lying areas or if you're in Bangladesh where the majority of the country is uh, within that zone of elevation, there are whole island nations that will be gone. Um, For you, climate change is very real here and now. If you live up in the mountain in Montana, sea level rise isn't as much a concern for you. So it's really a global issue. 
Yes, of course. <laughs> but your impacts are local, how you feel it, whether you feel a heat wave or whether you're feeling a hurricane that is on a yes. higher sea level boring down on you. Yes, and, and also um, diseases was another aspect of this. Mm-hmm. That, could Sir, you explain that a little bit? We, we don't have much time left. but uh, Quickly, if you expand the temperature range of your season that you have a longer summer than, uh, or in the winter it doesn't freeze so that certain pests, agricultural pests, are allowed to survive through the winter, they may become uh, become more prevalent in areas of the world where a freezing temperature in the winter help save those agricultural products from certain pests that are uh, like that. And certainly um, certain diseases that tend to be in tropical regions, they'll expand their range. Yes, it really, that part also is, you know, bird flu and, and all of that really, um, uh, it, it, it's all intertwined. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for um, explaining <laughs> everything we wanted to know about global warming to us, Dr. Brenda Eckwurzel. My she, pleasure. She is a climate scientist with the Global Environment Program, the Union of Concerned Scientists. And I promise to give you the websites. You need to go to these websites to find out 101 ways to uh, things you can do in your home and your everyday life. Little, Some of these things are so simple. You just have to... You just have to start, you know, incorporating them. Find out how they help and incorporate it. One of them is stopglobalwarming.org, stopglobalwarming.org. And the other one is climatecrisis.net. That's what the movie uh, refers people to. An Inconvenient Truth at the end pretty much refers people to climatecrisis.net to uh, find out more information. And then also you can get from there to stopglobalwarming.org. And there really are lists of things that you can do, some of which we talked about, other things using fluorescent bulbs, compact fluorescent bulbs, changing air filters, using recycled paper, um, taking shorter showers, installing a low-flow shower head, um, buying locally we talked about, carpooling, reducing garbage, uh, planting trees, that's a biggie, uh, to suck up the carbon dioxide, replacing old appliances that waste energy because they're inefficient, um, putting on a sweater instead of turning up the thermostat. I mean, a lot of these things help you save money as well as saving energy because energy costs money um, in most cases. So, uh, hope you, uh, when, <laughs> when you're out there now and if you're hot where you are or if you're worried about a tropical storm or something, um, I hope this has brought it home to you, how, how there's really no time to waste. We each have to do our part starting today. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.